Part three of chapter four of Totem and Taboo by Sigmund Freud. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter four Infantile Recurrence of Totemism. Part three. Section five. Let us now envisage the scene of such a totem meal, and let us embellish it further with a few probable features which could not be adequately considered before thus we have the clan which on a solemn occasion kills its totem in a cruel manner and eats it raw blood flesh and bones at the same time the members of the clan disguised in imitation of the totem mimic it in sound and movement as if they wanted to emphasize their common identity there is also the conscious realization that an action is being carried out which is forbidden to each individual and which can only be justified through the participation of all so that no one is allowed to exclude himself from the killing and the feast after the act is accomplished the murdered animal is bewailed and lamented the death lamentation is compulsive being enforced by the fear of a threatening retribution and its main purpose is as robertson smith remarks on an analogous occasion to exculpate oneself from responsibility for the slaying but after the mourning there follows loud festival gaiety accompanied by the unchaining of every impulse and the permission of every gratification here we find an easy insight into the nature of the holiday a holiday is a permitted or rather a prescribed excess a solemn violation of a prohibition people do not commit the excesses which at all times have characterized holidays as a result of an order to be in a holiday mood but because in the very nature of a holiday there is excess the holiday mood is brought about by the release of what is otherwise forbidden but what has mourning over the death of the totem animal to do with the introduction of this holiday spirit if men are happy over the slaying of the totem which is otherwise forbidden to them why do they also mourn it we have heard that members of a clan become holy through the consumption of the totem and thereby also strengthen their identification with it and with each other the fact that they have absorbed the holy life with which the substance of the totem is charged may explain the holiday mood and everything that results from it psychoanalysis has revealed to us that the totem animal is really a substitute for the father and this really explains the contradiction that it is usually forbidden to kill the totem animal that the killing of it results in a holiday and that the animal is killed and yet mourned the ambivalent emotional attitude which today still marks the father complex in our children and so often continues into adult life also extended to the father substitute of the totem animal but if we associate the translation of the totem as given by psychoanalysis with the totem feast and the darwinian hypothesis about the primal state of human society a deeper understanding becomes possible and a hypothesis is offered which may seem fantastic but which has the advantage of establishing an unexpected unity among a series of hitherto separated phenomena the darwinian conception of the primal horde does not of course allow for the beginnings of totemism there is only a violent jealous father who keeps all the females for himself and drives away the growing sons this primal state of society has nowhere been observed the most primitive organization we know which today is still in force with certain tribes 
is associations of men consisting of members with equal rights subject to the restrictions of the totemic system and founded on matriarchy or descent through the mother can the one have resulted from the other and how is this possible by basing our argument upon the celebration of the totem we are in a position to give an answer one day the expelled brothers joined forces slew and ate the father and thus put an end to the father horde together they dared and accomplished what would have remained impossible for them singly perhaps some advance in culture like the use of a new weapon had given them the feeling of superiority of course these cannibalistic savages ate their victim this violent primal father had surely been the envied and feared model for each of the brothers now they accomplished their identification with him by devouring him and each acquired a part of his strength the totem feast which is perhaps mankind's first celebration would be the repetition commemoration of this memorable criminal act with which so many things began social organization moral restrictions and religion in order to find these results acceptable quite aside from our supposition we need only assume that the group of brothers banded together were dominated by the same contradictory feelings toward the father which we can demonstrate as the content of ambivalence of the father complex in all our children and in neurotics they hated the father who stood so powerfully in the way of their sexual demands and their desire for power but they also loved and admired him after they had satisfied their hate by his removal and had carried out their wish for identification with him the suppressed tender impulses had to assert themselves this took place in the form of remorse a sense of guilt was formed which coincided here with the remorse generally felt the dead now became stronger than the living had been even as we observe it to-day in the destinies of men what the father's presence had formerly prevented they themselves now prohibited in the psychic situation of subsequent obedience which we know so well from psychoanalysis they undid their deed by declaring that the killing of the father substitute the totem was not allowed and renounced the fruits of their deed by denying themselves the liberated women thus they created the two fundamental taboos of totemism out of the sense of guilt of the son and for this very reason these had to correspond with the two repressed wishes of the oedipus complex whoever disobeyed became guilty of the two only crimes which troubled primitive society the two taboos of totemism with which the morality of man begins are psychologically not of equal value one of them the sparing of the totem animal rests entirely upon emotional motives the father had been removed and nothing in reality could make up for this but the other the incest prohibition had besides a strong practical foundation sexual need does not unite men it separates them though the brothers had joined forces in order to overcome the father each was the other's rival among the women each one wanted to have them all to himself like the father and in the fight of each against the other the new organization would have perished for there was no longer any one stronger than all the rest who could have successfully assumed the role of the father thus there was nothing left for the brothers if they wanted to live together but to erect the incest prohibition perhaps after many difficult experiences 
through which all equally renounced the women whom they desired and on account of whom they had removed the father in the first place thus they saved the organization which had made them strong and which could be based upon the homosexual feelings and activities which probably manifested themselves among them during the time of their banishment perhaps this situation also formed the germ of the institution of the mother right discovered by bachoven which was then abrogated by the patriarchal family arrangement on the other hand the claim of totemism to be considered the first attempt at a religion is connected with the other taboo which protects the life of the totem animal the feelings of the sons found a natural and appropriate substitute for the father in the animal but their compulsory treatment of it expressed more than a need of showing remorse the surrogate for the father was perhaps used in the attempt to assuage the burning sense of guilt and to bring about a kind of reconciliation with the father the totemic system was a kind of agreement with the father in which the latter granted everything that the child's fantasy could expect from him protection care and forbearance in return for which the pledge was given to honor his life that is to say not to repeat the act against the totem through which the real father had perished totemism also contained an attempt at justification if the father had treated us like the totem we should never have been tempted to kill him thus totemism helped to gloss over the real state of affairs and to make one forget the event to which it owed its origin in this connection some features were formed which henceforth determined the character of every religion the totem religion had issued from the sense of guilt of the sons as an attempt to palliate this feeling and to conciliate the injured father through subsequent obedience all later religions proved to be attempts to solve the same problem varying only in accordance with the stage of culture in which they are attempted and according to the paths which they take they are all however reactions aiming at the same great event with which culture began and which ever since has not let mankind come to rest there is still another characteristic faithfully preserved in religion which already appeared in totemism at this time the ambivalent strain was probably too great to be adjusted by any arrangement or else the psychological conditions are entirely unfavorable to any kind of settlement of these contradictory feelings it is certainly noticeable that the ambivalence attached to the father complex also continues in totemism and in religions in general the religion of totemism included not only manifestations of remorse and attempts at reconciliation but also serves to commemorate the triumph over the father the gratification obtained thereby creates the commemorative celebration of the totem feast at which the restrictions of subsequent obedience are suspended and makes it a duty to repeat the crime of parricide through the sacrifice of the totem animal as often as the benefits of this deed namely the appropriation of the father's properties threatened to disappear as a result of the changed influences of life we shall not be surprised to find that a part of the son's defiance also reappears often in the most remarkable disguises and inversions in the formation of later religions if thus far we have followed in religion and moral precepts but little differentiated in totemism the consequences of the tender impulses towards the father as they are changed into remorse 
we must not overlook the fact that for the most part the tendencies which have impelled to parricide have retained the victory the social and fraternal feelings on which this great change is based henceforth for long periods exercises the greatest influence upon the development of society they find expression in the sanctification of the common blood and in the emphasis upon the solidarity of life within the clan in thus ensuring each other's lives the brothers express the fact that no one of them is to be treated by the other as they all treated the father they preclude a repetition of the fate of the father the socially established prohibition against fratricide is now added to the prohibition against killing the totem which is based on religious grounds it will still be a long time before the commandment discards the restriction to members of the tribe and assumes the simple phraseology thou shalt not kill at first the brother clan has taken the place of the father horde and was guaranteed by the blood bond society is now based on complicity in the common crime religion on the sense of guilt and the consequent remorse while morality is based partly on the necessities of society and partly on the expiation which this sense of guilt demands the psychoanalysis contrary to the newer conceptions of the totemic system and more in accordance with older conceptions bids us argue for an intimate connection between totemism and exogamy as well as for their simultaneous origin section six i am under the influence of many strong motives which restrain me from the attempt to discuss the further development of religions from their beginning in totemism up to their present state i shall follow out only two threads as i see them appearing in the weft with especial distinctness the motive of the totem sacrifice and the relation of the son to the father robertson smith has shown us that the old totem feast returns in the original form of sacrifice the meaning of the rite is the same sanctification through participation in the common meal the sense of guilt which can only be allayed through the solidarity of all the participants has also been retained in addition to this there is the tribal deity in whose supposed presence the sacrifice takes place who takes part in the meal like a member of the tribe and with whom identification is affected by the act of eating the sacrifice how does the god come into this situation which originally was foreign to him the answer might be that the idea of god had meanwhile appeared no one knows whence and had dominated the whole religious life and that the totem feast like everything else that wished to survive had been forced to fit itself into the new system however psychoanalytic investigation of the individual teaches with a special emphasis that god is in every case modeled after the father and that our personal relation to god is dependent upon our relation to our physical father fluctuating and changing with him and that god at bottom is nothing but an exalted father here also as in the case of totemism psychoanalysis advises us to believe the faithful who call god father just as they called the totem their ancestor if psychoanalysis deserves any consideration at all then the share of the father in the idea of a god must be very important quite aside from all the other origins and meanings of god upon which psychoanalysis can throw no light but then the father would be represented twice in primitive sacrifice 
first as god and secondly as the totem animal sacrifice and we must ask with all due regard for the limited number of solutions which psychoanalysis offers whether this is possible and what the meaning of it may be we know that there are a number of relations of the god to the holy animal the totem and the sacrificial animal one usually one animal is sacred to every god sometimes even several animals two in certain especially holy sacrifices the so-called mystical sacrifices the very animal which had been sanctified through the god was sacrificed to him three the god was often revered in the form of an animal or from another point of view animals enjoyed a godlike reverence long after the period of totemism for in myths the god is frequently transformed into an animal often into the animal that is sacred to him from this the assumption was obvious that the god himself was the animal and that he had evolved from the totem animal at a later stage of religious feeling but the reflection that the totem itself is nothing but a substitute for the father relieves us of all further discussion thus the totem may have been the first form of the father substitute and the god a later one in which the father regained his human form such a new creation from the root of all religious evolution namely the longing for the father might become possible if in the course of time an essential change had taken place in the relation to the father and perhaps also to the animal such changes are easily divined even if we disregard the beginning of a psychic estrangement from the animal as well as the disintegration of totemism through animal domestication the situation created by the removal of the father contained an element which in the course of time must have brought about an extraordinary increase of longing for the father for the brothers who had joined forces to kill the father had each been animated by the wish to become like the father and had given expression to this wish by incorporating parts of the substitute for him in the totem feast in consequence of the pressure which the bonds of the brother clan exercised upon each member this wish had to remain unfulfilled no one could or was allowed to attain the father's perfection of power which was the thing they had all sought thus the bitter feeling against the father which had incited to the deed could subside in the course of time while the longing for him grew and an ideal could arise having as a content the fullness of power and the freedom from restriction of the conquered primal father as well as the willingness to subject themselves to him the original democratic equality of each member of the tribe could no longer be retained on account of the interference of cultural changes in consequence of which there arose a tendency to revive the old father ideal in the creation of gods through the veneration of those individuals who had distinguished themselves above the rest that a man should become a god and that a god should die which to-day seems to us an outrageous presumption was still by no means offensive to the conceptions of classical antiquity but the deification of the murdered father from whom the tribe now derived its origin was a much more serious attempt at expiation than the former covenant with the totem 
in this evolution i am at a loss to indicate the place of the great maternal deities who perhaps everywhere preceded the paternal deities but it seems certain that the change in the relation to the father was not restricted to religion but logically extended to the other side of human life influenced by the removal of the father namely the social organization with the institution of paternal deities the fatherless society gradually changed into a patriarchal one the family was a reconstruction of the former primal horde and also restored a great part of their former rights to the fathers now there were patriarchs again but the social achievements of the brother clan had not been given up and the actual difference between the new family patriarchs and the unrestricted primal father was great enough to ensure the continuation of the religious need the preservation of the unsatisfied longing for the father the father therefore really appears twice in the scene of sacrifice before the tribal god once as the god and again as the totem sacrificial animal but in attempting to understand this situation we must beware of interpretations which superficially seek to translate it as an allegory and which forget the historical stages in the process the twofold presence of the father corresponds to the two successive meanings of the scene the ambivalent attitude towards the father as well as the victory of the son's tender emotional feelings over his hostile ones have here found plastic expression the scene of vanquishing the father his greatest degradation furnishes here the material to represent his highest triumph the meaning which sacrifice has quite generally acquired is found in the fact that in the very same action which continues the memory of this misdeed it offers satisfaction to the father for the ignominy put upon him in the further development the animal loses its sacredness and the sacrifice its relation to the celebration of the totem the rite becomes a simple offering to the deity a self-deprivation in favor of the god god himself is now so exalted above man that he can be communicated with only through a priest as intermediary at the same time the social order produces godlike kings who transfer the patriarchal system to the state it must be said that the revenge of the deposed and reinstated father has been very cruel it culminated in the dominance of authority the subjugated sons have used the new relation to disburden themselves still more of their sense of guilt sacrifice as it is now constituted is entirely beyond their responsibility god himself has demanded and ordained it myths in which the god himself kills the animal that is sacred to him which he himself really is belong to this phase this is the greatest possible denial of the great misdeed with which society and the sense of guilt began there is an unmistakable second meaning in this sacrificial demonstration it expresses satisfaction at the fact that the earlier father substitute has been abandoned in favor of the higher conception of god the superficial allegorical translation of the scene here roughly corresponds with its psychoanalytic interpretation by saying that the god is represented as overcoming the animal part of his nature 
but it would be erroneous to believe that in this period of renewed patriarchal authority the hostile impulses which belonged to the father complex had entirely subsided on the contrary the first phases in the domination of the two new substitutive formations for the father those of gods and kings plainly show the most energetic expression of that ambivalence which is characteristic of religion in his great work the golden bough fraser has expressed the conjecture that the first kings of the latin tribes were strangers who played the part of a deity and were solemnly sacrificed in this role on specified holidays the yearly sacrifice self-sacrifice is a variant of a god seems to have been an important feature of the semitic religions the ceremony of human sacrifice in various parts of the inhabited world makes it certain that these human beings ended their lives as representatives of the deity this sacrificial custom can still be traced in later times in the substitution of an inanimate imitation doll for the living person the theanthropic god sacrifice into which unfortunately i cannot enter with the same thoroughness with which the animal sacrifice has been treated throws the clearest light upon the meaning of the older forms of sacrifice it acknowledges with unsurpassable candor that the object of the sacrificial action has always been the same being identical with what is now revered as a god namely with the father the question as to the relation of animal to human sacrifice can now be easily solved the original animal sacrifice was already a substitute for a human sacrifice for the solemn killing of the father and when the father substitute regained its human form the animal substitute could also be retransformed into a human sacrifice thus the memory of that first great act of sacrifice had proved to be indestructible despite all attempts to forget it and just at the moment when men strove to get as far away as possible from its motives the undistorted repetition of it had to appear in the form of the god's sacrifice i need not fully indicate here the developments of religious thought which made this return possible in the form of rationalizations robertson smith who is of course far removed from the idea of tracing sacrifice back to this great event of man's primal history says that the ceremony of the festivals in which the old semites celebrated the death of a deity were interpreted as a commemoration of a mythical tragedy and that the attendant lament was not characterized by spontaneous sympathy but displayed a compulsive character something that was imposed by the fear of a divine wrath we are in a position to acknowledge that this interpretation was correct the feelings of the celebrants being well explained by the basic situation we may now accept it as a fact that in the further development of religions these two inciting factors the son's sense of guilt and his defiance were never again extinguished every attempted solution of the religious problem and every kind of reconciliation of the two opposing psychic forces gradually falls to the ground probably under the combined influence of cultural changes historical events and inner psychic transformations the endeavor of the son to put himself in place of the father god appeared with greater and greater distinctness with the introduction of agriculture the importance of the son in the patriarchal family increased 
he was emboldened to give new expression to his incestuous libido which found symbolic satisfaction in laboring over mother earth there came into existence figures of gods like attis adonis tammuz and others spirits of vegetation as well as youthful divinities who enjoyed the favors of maternal deities and committed incest with the mother in defiance of the father but the sense of guilt which was not allayed through these creations was expressed in myths which visited these youthful lovers of the maternal goddesses with short life and punishment through castration or through the wrath of the father god appearing in animal form adonis was killed by the boar the sacred animal of aphrodite attis the lover of kybele died of castration the lamentation for these gods and the joy at their resurrection have gone over into the ritual of another son which divinity was destined to survive long when christianity began its entry into the ancient world it met with the competition of the religions of mithras and for a long time it was doubtful which deity was to be the victor the bright figure of the youthful persian god has eluded our understanding perhaps we may conclude from the illustrations of mithras slaying the steers that he represented the son who carried out the sacrifice to the father by himself and thus released the brothers from their oppressing complicity in the deed there was another way of allaying this sense of guilt and this is the one that christ took he sacrificed his own life and thereby redeemed the brothers from primal sin the theory of primal sin is of orphic origin it was preserved in the mysteries and thence penetrated into the philosophic schools of greek antiquity men were the descendants of titans who had killed and dismembered the young dionysus zagreus the weight of this crime oppressed them a fragment of anaximander says that the unity of the world was destroyed by a primordial crime and everything that issued from it must carry on the punishment for this crime although the features of banding together killing and dismembering as expressed in the deed of the titans very clearly recall the totem sacrifice described by st nilus as also many other myths of antiquity for example the death of orpheus himself we are nevertheless disturbed here by the variation according to which a youthful god was murdered in the christian myth man's original sin is undoubtedly offence against god the father and if christ redeems mankind from the weight of original sin by sacrificing his own life he forces us to the conclusion that this sin was murder according to the law of retaliation which is deeply rooted in human feeling a murder can be atoned only by the sacrifice of another life the self-sacrifice points to a blood guilt and if this sacrifice of one's own life brings about a reconciliation with god the father then the crime which must be expiated can only have been the murder of the father thus in the christian doctrine mankind most unreservedly acknowledges the guilty deed of primordial times because it now has found the most complete expiation for this deed in the sacrificial death of the son
The reconciliation with the father is the more thorough because simultaneously with this sacrifice there follows the complete renunciation of woman for whose sake mankind rebelled against the father. But now also the psychological fatality of ambivalence demands its rights. In the same deed which offers the greatest possible expiation to the father, the son also attains the goal of his wishes against the father. He becomes a god himself, beside or rather in place of his father. The religion of the son succeeds the religion of the father. As a sign of this substitution, the old totem feast is revived again in the form of communion, in which the band of brothers now eats the flesh and blood of the son, and no longer that of the father, the sons thereby identifying themselves with him and becoming holy themselves. Thus through the ages we see the identity of the totem feast with the animal sacrifice, the theanthropic human sacrifice, and the Christian Eucharist and in all these solemn occasions we recognize the after-effects of that crime which so oppressed men but of which they must have been so proud at bottom however the christian communion is a new setting aside of the father a repetition of the crime that must be expiated we see how well justified is fraser's dictum that the christian communion has absorbed within itself a sacrament which is doubtless far older than christianity section seven a process like the removal of the primal father by the band of brothers must have left ineradicable traces in the history of mankind and must have expressed itself the more frequently in numerous substitutive formations the less it itself was to be remembered i am avoiding the temptation of pointing out these traces in mythology where they are not hard to find and am turning to another field in following a hint of s reinick in his suggestive treatment of the death of orpheus there is a situation in the history of greek art which is strikingly familiar even if profoundly divergent to the scene of a totem feast discovered by robertson smith it is the situation of the oldest greek tragedy a group of persons all of the same name and dressed in the same way surround a single figure upon whose words and actions they are dependent to represent the chorus and the original single impersonator of the hero later developments created a second and a third actor in order to represent opponents in playing and offshoots of the hero but the character of the hero as well as his relation to the chorus remains unchanged the hero of the tragedy had to suffer this is to-day still the essential content of a tragedy he had taken upon himself the so-called tragic guilt which is not always easy to explain it is often not a guilt in the ordinary sense almost always it consisted of a rebellion against a divine or human authority and the chorus accompanied the hero with their sympathies trying to restrain and warn him and lamented his fate after he had met with what was considered fitting punishment for his daring attempt but why did the hero of the tragedy have to suffer and what was the meaning of his tragic guilt we will cut short the discussion by a prompt answer he had to suffer because he was the primal father the hero of that primordial tragedy the repetition of which here serves a certain tendency and the tragic guilt 
is the guilt which he had to take upon himself in order to free the chorus of theirs the scene upon the stage came into being through purposive distortion of the historical scene or one is tempted to say it was the result of refined hypocrisy actually in the old situation it was the members of the chorus themselves who had caused the suffering of the hero here on the other hand they exhaust themselves in sympathy and regret and the hero himself is to blame for his suffering the crime foisted upon him namely presumption and rebellion against a great authority is the same as that which in the past oppressed the colleagues of the chorus namely the band of brothers thus the tragic hero though still against his will is made the redeemer of the chorus when one bears in mind the suffering of the divine goat dionysus in the performance of the greek tragedy and the lament of the retinue of goats who identified themselves with him one can easily understand how the almost extinct drama was reviewed in the middle ages in the passion of christ in closing this study which has been carried out in extremely condensed form i want to state the conclusion that the beginnings of religion ethics society and art meet in the oedipus complex this is in entire accord with the findings of psychoanalysis namely that the nucleus of all neuroses as far as our present knowledge of them goes is the oedipus complex it comes as a great surprise to me that these problems of racial psychology can also be solved through a single concrete instance such as the relation to the father perhaps another psychological problem must be included here we have so frequently had occasion to show the ambivalence of emotions in its real sense that is to say the coincidence of love and hate towards the same object at the root of important cultural formations we know nothing about the origin of this ambivalence it may be assumed to be a fundamental phenomenon of our emotional life but the other possibility seems to me also worthy of consideration that ambivalence originally foreign to our emotional life was acquired by mankind from the father complex where psychoanalytic investigation of the individual today still reveals the strongest expression of it before closing we must take into account that the remarkable convergence reached in these illustrations pointing to a single inclusive relation ought not to blind us to the uncertainties of our assumptions and to the difficulties of our conclusions of these difficulties i will point out only two which must have forced themselves upon many readers in the first place it can hardly have escaped any one that we base everything upon the assumption of a psyche of the mass in which psychic processes occur as in the psychic life of the individual moreover we let the sense of guilt for a deed survive for thousands of years remaining effective in generations which could not have known anything of this deed we allow an emotional process such as might have arisen among generations of sons that had been ill-treated by their fathers to continue to new generations which had escaped such treatment by the very removal of the father these seem indeed to be weighty objections and any other explanation which can avoid such assumptions would seem to merit preference but further consideration shows that we ourselves do not have to carry the whole responsibility for such daring without the assumption of a mass psyche 
or a continuity of the emotional life of mankind which permits us to disregard the interruptions of psychic acts through the transgression of individuals social psychology could not exist at all if psychic processes of one generation did not continue in the next if each had to acquire its attitude towards life afresh there would be no progress in this field and almost no development we are now confronted by two new questions how much can be attributed to this psychic continuity within the series of generations and what ways and means does a generation use to transfer its psychic states to the next generation i do not claim that these problems have been sufficiently explained or that direct communication and tradition of which one immediately thinks are adequate for the task social psychology is in general little concerned with the manner in which the required continuity in the psychic life of succeeding generations is established a part of the task seems to be performed by the inheritance of psychic dispositions which however need certain incentives in the individual life in order to become effective this may be the meaning of the poet's words strive to possess yourself of what you have inherited from your ancestors the problem would appear more difficult if we could admit that there are psychic impulses which can be so completely suppressed that they leave no traces whatsoever behind them but that does not exist the greatest suppression must leave room for distorted substitutions and their resulting reactions but in that case we may assume that no generation is capable of concealing its more important psychic processes from the next for psychoanalysis has taught us that in his unconscious psychic activity every person possesses an apparatus which enables him to interpret the reactions of others that is to say to straighten out the distortions which the other person has effected in the expression of his feelings by this method of unconscious understanding of all customs ceremonies and laws which the original relation to the primal father had left behind later generations may also have succeeded in taking over this legacy of feelings there is another objection which the analytic method of thought itself might raise we have interpreted the first rules of morality and moral restrictions of primitive society as reactions to a deed which gave the authors of it the conception of crime they regretted this deed and decided that it should not be repeated and that its execution must bring no gain this creative sense of guilt has not become extinct with us we find its asocial effects in neurotics producing new rules of morality and continued restrictions in expiation for misdeeds committed or as precautions against misdeeds to be committed but when we examine these neurotics for the deeds which have called forth such reactions we are disappointed we do not find deeds but only impulses and feelings which sought evil but which were restrained from carrying it out only psychic realities and not actual ones are at the basis of the neurotic's sense of guilt it is characteristic of the neurosis to put a psychic reality above an actual one and to react as seriously to thoughts as the normal person reacts only towards realities may it not be true that the case was somewhat the same with primitive men 
we are justified in ascribing to them an extraordinary overvaluation of their psychic acts as a partial manifestation of their narcissistic organization according to this the mere impulses of hostility towards the father and the existence of the wish fantasy to kill and devour him may have sufficed to bring about the moral reaction which has created totemism and taboo we should thus escape the necessity of tracing back the beginning of our cultural possession of which we rightly are so proud to a horrible crime which wounds all our feelings the causal connection which stretches from that beginning to the present time would not be impaired for the psychic reality would be of sufficient importance to account for all these consequences it may be agreed that a change has really taken place in the form of society from the father horde to the brother clan this is a strong argument but it is not conclusive the change might have been accomplished in a less violent manner and still have conditioned the appearance of the moral reaction as long as the pressure of the primal father was felt the hostile feelings against him were justified and repentance at these feelings had to wait for another opportunity of as little validity is the second objection that everything derived from the ambivalent relation to the father namely taboos and rules of sacrifice is characterized by the highest seriousness and by complete reality the ceremonials and inhibitions of compulsion neurotics exhibit this characteristic too and yet they go back to a merely psychic reality to resolution and not to execution we must beware of introducing the contempt for what is merely thought or wished which characterizes our sober world where there are only material values into the world of primitive man and the neurotic which is full of inner riches only we face a decision here which is really not easy but let us begin by acknowledging that the difference which may seem fundamental to others does not in our judgment touch the most important part of the subject if wishes and impulses have the full value of fact for primitive man it is for us to follow such a conception intelligently instead of correcting it according to our standard but in that case we must scrutinize more closely the prototype of the neurosis itself which is responsible for having raised this doubt it is not true the compulsion neurotics who today are under the pressure of over-morality, defend themselves only against the psychic reality of temptations and punish themselves for impulses which they have only felt. A piece of historic reality is also involved. In their childhood these persons had nothing but evil impulses, and as far as their childish impotence permitted, they put them into action. Each of these overgood persons had a period of badness in his childhood and a perverse phase as a forerunner and a premise of the later over-morality. The analogy between primitive men and neurotics is therefore much more fundamentally established if we assume that with the former, too, the psychic reality concerning whose structure there is no doubt originally coincided with the actual reality, and that primitive men really did what according to all testimony they intended to do. But we must not let our judgment about primitive men be influenced too far by the analogy with neurotics differences must also be taken into account of course the sharp division between thinking and doing as we draw it 
does not exist either with savages or with neurotics but the neurotic is above all inhibited in his actions with him the thought is a complete substitute for the deed primitive man is not inhibited the thought is directly converted into the deed the deed is for him so to speak rather a substitute for the thought and for that reason i think we may well assume in the case we are discussing though without vouching for the absolute certainty of the decision that in the beginning was the deed end of part three of chapter four end of chapter four end of totem and taboo by sigmund freud read by mary schneider